So we're going to do a second sermon today on uh, the Lord's Prayer, um, just to hit uh, two more points out of it. Uh, if there are things that uh, uh, you miss out of what I say today, listen to last week's sermon. And um, if there's something I still didn't get out of that one, then call me and we'll go get coffee and we'll talk this week. But um, don't have a lot of time to go into that. Got a lot to say this morning. So before, before I get to that, let me pray and uh, I'll read the text. Uh, Lord, we thank you today that um, you are not distant, but are close. You indeed are God with us. Uh, we have your spirit indwelling us. Uh, we have your heart and your eyes and your ear uh, set toward us. And so I pray today that that would give us confidence and joy because there is much about us and much about uh, our people, our lives, uh, that would uh, tempt us to think none of that is true. And so I pray that you would help us today uh, to take you at your word and to turn to you as this text tells us to. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. You should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I want to start this morning by just recognizing the fact that we are rapidly approaching uh, the two-year anniversary, at least, of when things kind of ground to a halt uh, with the pandemic. So we're om almost up to two years of that. And I want you to think with me this morning a little bit about that, because we've lost a lot. Uh, many of you have lost uh, loved ones. My father-in-law died of COVID. Uh, many of us have lost respect for one another because of our differences. Uh, many of us have lost trust with others, with our institutions that we look to. We've lost, many of us have lost hope because of the difficulties of the last couple of years. Um, and so I think it's good for us to kind of come to grips with the reality of what these last few years have been and what they've done and the cost that they've exacted. J 
Jesus addresses two things, though, in uh, this prayer uh, today that I want us to look at that we cannot afford to lose. Because if we lose them, we are no longer the people of God. It's that straightforward. Now, I know that's a very kind of direct thing to say, but I think we, we need to dig into this prayer today to understand that, that Jesus is very clear with us that there are certain things that we may lose in life. We may even lose our very lives. But still, that is not as devastating as the loss of the two things that we're going to address that he addresses in the prayer today. And that is the loss of joy uh, and the loss of the promise of hope that is our blessed hope of uh, the kingdom come and our life in it forever. We cannot afford to lose our joy. You can afford to lose your 401k. You can afford to lose your home. You can afford to lose your job. You can afford to lose any number of those things, but you cannot afford to lose your joy, and you cannot afford to lose the hope of glory. If we lose those things, we're not the church. The gospel becomes meaningless, and we become useless, frankly, for the purpose of God in the world. So how do we get at this, and how is Jesus, the logic of this prayer, how does he help us get at that and help us uh, uh, to pray about that? Well, I, what I want us to do is to look, uh, not so much as taking the prayer itself apart, but look at the, the beginning uh, commentary that Jesus gives about the prayer, and then the ending commentary. So the beginning, uh, before he even begins the prayer, Jesus says this, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So that is kind of the heading over the whole prayer before we even go to him. And so that's an important the commentary. Jesus is communicating something to us about the nature of our praying about that before we even get into the prayer. And then at the end of the prayer, he says something that should make you very uncomfortable. And if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, I would submit to you today that you're probably not a Christian. And that's these words. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. So that should, that, that should make you sweat. Uh, because every single person in here today has someone, some ones, they are struggling and probably often failing to forgive. So how does this prayer help us get at that, and how, how does it help us uh, address these things? Well, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that this prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, uh, now, and remember we talked about this last week, not if you pray, but when you pray, this is how you do it. Now, the thing that's interesting is when you read this prayer and you look at it and you, you follow along with it, one of the things that you have to recognize is that the content of most of your prayers, most of my prayers, this seems very distant from what Jesus is telling us to do. Where's the prayer of the infertile couple? Where's the prayer of the lonely person who wants a spouse or a friend? Where's the prayer of the brokenhearted 
who needs their grief healed? Where's the prayer of the parent struggling with a wayward child? Where's the prayer of the person whose heart is so broken by grief they need healing? Where is it in this? Because the fact is, those are the things that are most often on our hearts and minds, aren't they? Those are the things that we struggle with the most in the world in which we live. And so how is it then can Jesus get at those things by instructing us to pray this way? Well, I think, I think the, the way for us to understand that this morning uh, is, 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 is pretty straightforward, right? And it's, it's here. It begins with the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. Now, I, I think that is uh, uh, something that's important for us to, to think about. Now, I, I memorized the Lord's Prayer when I was six. My, my dad said, you can read, here's a Bible, and uh, I want you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. I want you to memorize Psalm 1 and Psalm 23. He didn't say he wanted me to. He said, you will memorize Psalm 1, <laughs> Psalm 23, and the Lord's Prayer, right? And you will recite them to me at, before dinner. In other words, if you want to eat, you will learn this, <laughs> right? Not that quite that direct, but, but almost. And so I love to eat, and so I was quick to learn those words. For most of my life, I have read, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done this way. That what we're saying there is that we're actually praying for all the people who do not hallow God's name, the terrible people in the culture, that they would turn and that they would repent. That this was about someone else. And as I've thought about this text, and as I've thought about what to say this morning about our losses, what it occurs to me today is, is something else. That this prayer, this petition, hallowed be your name, uh, is the only petition in the prayer, really, where we are asking God to do something in our lives and in our world that will bring about our hearts, our voices, our minds, hallowing his name. That God would do something in my life and in my heart that would cause me to respond in deep reverential worship for the great power and grace and mercy and strength of our God. And that not only that I would do that, not only that I would be moved to hallow his name by the way in which he has moved and, and, and blessed and cared for me in, in that way, but that other people would see it as well and be moved in the same way. 
Because you see, what happens to us so often is, is our temptation, as we think about these things, is to lose our joy, right? So that we come to God thinking like, God, I cannot have any sense of joy. I cannot have any sense of your presence, of your strength, of your power in my life until you meet this unfulfilled desire, until you do this thing for me, right? But the fact is, When we say to God, hallowed be your name, what we're asking him to do is to act in such a way that it draws our hearts out in worship, that it draws our lips out in praise, that it causes us to say, God, in the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of my brokenheartedness, in the midst of my pain and suffering and difficulty, you are awesome because you are faithful, you are with me, you are for me, and I see the might of your gracious hand in my life. Do that, Lord. Do that so that I will praise you. Do that so that others will see and give you worship. You see, that is, that is the thing that is, is so powerful and so profound about this. And I think, next, next slide, please, Brian. So I, so I think the, the logic of the prayer would be, I want to see you, Father, held in the highest esteem by the most people. So act in this way that, that, that I will hallow your name. And as you do that, bring your kingdom. Meet my needs. Enable me to forgive. You see, I think that's, that's how we think about this. Now, now, let me be clear about this. You know, as someone who has spent probably the bulk of my adult life wrestling with God over unfulfilled desires, I am an unfilled, unfulfilled desire factory. I am always wanting more. I can always identify something in my life that is unfulfilled right? And what I, and my temptation in that, and I believe your temptation as well, is that unfulfilled desire becomes so big that it blots out the sun of God's grace. And so what happens to us is we can often find ourselves in this kind of either or situation that either God, you fulfill this desire so that I can hallow your name, or I will not hallow your name and I will live and shrivel up into this kind of shell of subtle, cynical bitterness. I'll just live my life. I'll just go through my days. I'll act like I'm hallowing you, but in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking, why aren't you fulfilling this desire? And so what I believe happens here is that because we recognize that we need God's kingdom to come, that we live in a world full of brokenness and sin, not the least of which is our own, But because we live in that kind of world, we have to come to grips with the fact that God works and moves and pours out his grace upon us, that the cross of Jesus Christ is real and for us and profoundly uh, instructive to our lives as we think about our unfulfilled desires. And that we recognize that as we live in this world of brokenness and sin and disappointment, that our expectation is, is that God will get his glory, that he will do his work, that he will show himself good and powerful to me and to others, even as I struggle with things not being completely the way they should be, because I'm still asking for his kingdom to come in fullness. This week, I had the opportunity to hold my grandson my new grandson. I, I wrestled with the other one all week, but I, I got, 
I got to, I got to uh, I got to, to hold my little grandson. Seven pounds, eleven ounces. Now, which is a, an average size baby, but when you hold a seven pound, eleven ounce baby after wrestling a forty pounder, you're like, how's this kid gonna make it? <laughs> He's so little. He's so light. How does anybody make it? He's just so small. Barely cries, so content. I don't know where he came from. <laughs> but I'm sitting there holding him and I'm looking at him and I'm just thinking, you know, uh, my, my daughter, after she sees him, she says, Dad, that baby looks just like you. Which is... On the one hand, awesome, and on the other hand, disconcerting, right? <laughs> but I hold him and I look at him and I think, wow, God, you're so awesome. You're so good. What a blessing to this man and woman, me and Marty, who struggled for years with infertility. I praise you. I thank you. You're great. Hallowed be your name. And then I look down at him and I think, I wish my dad was here to see this. Right? I think, what would he do to get his hands on his great-grandson? And then I think, because I'm such a mess, <laughs> then I think, but you know, what a legacy of faith Milton left his family. And this little boy who will not know his great-grandfather until glory, will be blessed because Milton preached the gospel, because Milton made me memorize the Lord's Prayer and the first Psalm and the 23rd Psalm and made sure I heard the gospel, right? And so as you look at those kinds of things, as you think about that, as you take your unfulfilled desire, we recognize that I, what, what Jesus is getting at is we pray in such a way that the power of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the atoning work of Jesus would be so profound and real to us and powerful in our lives that it would turn our hearts towards God in praise and worship, even in the midst of our brokenness and the fact that everything will not be the way it's supposed to be until Jesus comes. Come quickly, right? So that's point one. We cannot lose our joy of seeing God's name hallowed. But the other thing that may be more difficult is what are we to do with forgiveness, right? It rolls off our lips so easily when we say, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? And so we, we say that, we think about that, we say it so often, it doesn't strike us. And that's why Jesus says here at the end, listen, I'm here to tell you this is serious business. I'm here to tell you that a root of bitterness, an unwillingness to forgive, the inability to uh, make ourselves vulnerable to the possibility of forgiveness is so dangerous to your souls, so dangerous to your eternity, so dangerous to your place in the kingdom of God, we need to check ourselves. And we need to ask God to check ourselves. 
Now, now let, me be, let me be clear about this, right? A forgiveness is not a work whereby we gain the forgiveness of God. You, the gospel is not we entrust ourselves to the, the, the righteous life and the atoning death of Jesus Christ, and then we forgive people, and then God accepts us. That is not the gospel. Let me be clear about that. But it's also clear that a person who has believed and seen and entrusted themselves and felt the forgiving mercy of a heavenly father who is unwilling to forgive, perhaps has not felt and seen the forgiving mercy of a heavenly father. Next slide. So what is the logic here of how to get at this? How are we to think about this? Well, I want to come at this a little bit through the back door. First of all, think about it this way. If heaven is the location of people from every language, tribe, nation, and people across the globe and across history, what is the one thing that they're going to have in common? Well, the one thing that they're all going to have in common is the recognition that they were sinners and that Jesus Christ died to forgive them of their sins. If you and I are going to spend eternity in a community marked by forgiveness, where everyone there, the one thing that we have in common is the fact that we have been forgiven, and yet we ourselves are unwilling to participate in the forgiveness of others, we're going to be out of place. That's not a place for us. Right? So I hope you're sweating. Right? I mean, this, 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 should, make us, this should make us uncomfortable. And I, and I think that's Jesus' point in doing this, is to, to say to us, to press home to us, the understanding of the very grace of God, the very nature of God's work in our life, the very, the very point of the cross, the very point of the life and death of Jesus Christ as we come to him, is that our sins would be forgiven and that that is going to somehow rather manifest itself in our lives because an unforgiving heart is likely an unforgiven heart. If you can't forgive, you haven't sensed or grasped or accepted his forgiveness. Now, let me be clear about this. It may not be that you can't forgive. It may, may, it may, maybe that's not the thing. Maybe the thing is you, you want to forgive, you just don't know how. You're in good shape. Maybe, but, but if your heart is such that you're like, I will never forgive that. I will never forgive that person. I do not want blessing to be upon my enemy. Then we need to heed this warning and we need to take it very seriously. So, what is forgiveness? And how does the grace of God get us to a place of forgiveness? I love cable news because it's so entertaining. Not super informative, but quite entertaining. And one of my favorite things about cable news shows is these companies that advertise gold and silver. You know, man, the only way to make it when the bottom falls out is to have a safe full of gold and silver, right? Right? 
which is so funny, you know, in, in so many ways. Now, th that's such a dumb thing. Let me just say that. And let me be the first one to say, I have some of that stuff, stupidly, right? I got some, because I just think it's, I like the way it sounds. But, <laughs> all right, I don't know what it's worth, but I like, I like to clink it together because it sounds funny to me. All right, judge me if you will. You got to forgive me. I just like the way it sounds. But one of the things that always strikes me about that is equally stupid is when they tell you to buy silver and gold, the reason why they tell you that is they show you this picture of the national debt meter. And this thing is just spinning like that, right? Because there's a, a, an economic school of thought in, in, in America today that's very prevalent called modern monetary theory. Ever heard of it? You never thought you'd hear about it in church. Well, it simply means the government can, can borrow as much money as it wants to, and it never has to pay it back. Now, a lot of people believe that. And so the way to deal with that is to make more money. And so, so you, you accumulate a debt you never can or will pay back. And if you look at that clock spinning there with all the numbers, I don't know if that thing's accurate or not, but it scares the beekeepers out of me every time I see it. I'm like, I don't even know what that thing is, but it looks out of control. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, national debt, impossible to pay back, getting bigger by the second. Guy is never going to pay this back. Uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, and Bill Gates all together can't pay this debt to back. Okay? It's that big. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And even that's not going to come remotely up to the dead. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Liar. And the king knows he's a liar. He's lying through his teeth. And everybody knows it. He knows it. Right? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a little debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He, he, he could have paid him. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then this master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Not because of anything, it's just because you pleaded with me. I had pity on you. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
In other words, the appropriation of the gospel means that I am going to struggle, struggle, struggle to find a way to forgive the debts against me, right? So, how do we know what forgiveness is? Well, Thomas Watson, an an ancient Puritan who who wrote uh, a, a, a catechism on the Lord's Prayer, says this, we know we're forgiving others when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, doesn't say we remove all thoughts of revenge. That's why it's a good one, <laughs> because it means we strive against thoughts of revenge. When you, when you begin fantasizing about setting someone straight or their suffering or their difficulty because of their sin against you, and you think, I shouldn't think like that, you're striving against thoughts of revenge. When we will not do to our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Okay? Now, does this mean that when somebody sins against us, we just absorb it? Does that mean that we never address it, that there are never any consequences of sin? No, no, that is not what he means at all. Uh, next, next slide. What it, what it means is, and we see this when, when Watson asks this, is God ever angry with his pardoned ones? Though a child of God after pardon may incur his fatherly displeasure, yet his judicial wrath is removed. Though he may lay on the rod, yet he has taken away the curse. Correction may befall the saints, but not destruction. And so discipline may come our way, and it may need to come our way out of love to, to help us, to change us, to reorient us, right? Now, we can forgive at the same time we hold someone to account and, and, and seek their, uh, their good and their blessing. But nevertheless, we don't do that out of revenge. It doesn't make us feel good to see them suffer. And um, Watson goes on to say that we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him, to wish well, to revoke our right to revenge. So here's the thing, right? How will, pe- how will you know, how will people know that we're even a church? Or how will you know, or how will people know that you actually are a follower of Christ? Well, we see it here in the way in which we pray, that we would pray that even in our suffering and our pain, that God would work in such a way that it would draw out worship from us and from others. And secondly, we see the immensity and the enormity and the monstrosity of our own sin. And that the mercy and the atoning work of Christ is so great that when others sin against me, it puts me in a position to struggle with Almighty God to find the grace and the power to forgive those who hurt me. That's what Jesus wants you to pray. Because he does not want to see us lose the joy of the hallowing of God's name or the reality of the dynamic of the forgiveness of sins working itself out in a community's life. And so we come to the table uh, today and we hear 
these words. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's confess our sins uh, by using this uh, uh, prayer from uh, St. Augustine. Pray with me. Almighty God, you know our needs before we ask, and our ignorance in asking, yet your servants free from all anxious thoughts about the future. Give us contentment with your good gifts, and confirm our faith as we seek your kingdom. You will not let us lack any good thing through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Are you here this morning so overwhelmed by unfulfilled desires that you're struggling to believe that God's good. You're at the right place. Are you here this morning struggling with feelings of bitterness against those who have wronged you? You're at the right place. Are you here this morning thinking that uh, joy is so hard to come by with the pain in your body, the pain in your heart, the struggle against sin. You're at the right place. If you're here this morning indulging a bitterness towards God because he hasn't done something that you deem necessary, or if you're here this morning nursing, enjoying, caring for a grudge. You're in trouble. You see, what we recognize about ourselves today as we come to the table is not uh, that we generate this joy on our own and not that we uh, can somehow or other discipline ourselves to overcome our unfulfilled desires or discipline ourselves somehow or other to be able to forgive our enemies. But what we do recognize is, I am a sinner, I am a broken vessel, and I need the work of God to put me back together. 
I need to see his power so that I can hallow his name. And I need to feel the forgiveness, what it costs Jesus to forgive me my sins so that I could find perhaps the strength and the ability and the grace to forgive others. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the forgiveness of sins. We believe that. Lord, help our unbelief. And so if you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other place to go uh, to deal with the truth about yourself and your neediness, your brokenness, your sinfulness, your, even your rebellion and your anger and bitterness against your Creator, but you recognize that Jesus died for you and you have proclaimed that, that you believe that to a body of believers somewhere, even today, if you are hanging by a thread, Jesus holds you in his strong hand. And he meets you here at this table. And he shows you his cross. And he enables you to take him at his word, that he loves you, that he is at work in you and for you, and that he will enable you by his grace to do supernatural acts of forgiveness and joy that will cause the hallowing of your father's name. He's that good and he's that great.